0: Hey there. Before we start this episode of Jackson Film Club, the podcast, we wanted to let you know that if you like what we do and you want to support us, you can make a one-time donation using Venmo at JXN Film Club, or you have the option to make uh, recurring donations by visiting our anchor profile at anchor.fm slash JXN Film Club. Thank you for your support.
1: the titanic and six Sense have in common what i see dead people
2: <laughs> <laughs> wow that is a fresh joke too soon too very fresh. funny joke welcome uh, to
0: jackson film club the podcast
2: i'm your, one of your hosts sam grave i'm joined by one of my hosts michael lamb and we're we have a great episode for you tonight uh we're joined by michael my- throw it to him <laughs>
0: Well, we're here today with David Lewis and Micah Smith to break down David Lewis's top 20 favorite movies. Break David down in the process, right? (laughs) Oh, David, no. We're not here to break you down. (laughs) We're here to build you up.
2: Oh, I love that. And then
1: break you down.
0: Okay.
2: (laughs) David, why why don't you give us a a short intro about yourself?
3: Oh, um, I am a lifelong Jacksonian Mm -hmm. and avid film Absorber, I
0: guess. David has a whole closet. I have a whole closet
3: of movies. Whoa. Yeah, DVDs, uh, Blu-rays. Yeah.
2: VHSs?
3: No, I don't have any VHSs. That's a good question though. But um, yeah, it's a rather large collection. Um, And I love going to the movies. And I have a lot of favorite movies. So it's hard to pick like 20 favorite movies. It is very hard. You know, it's just.
0: And on and off over the years, you've had like movie night Mondays. Oh,
3: that's true. We did used to do movie night Mondays. We went to the whole Marvel series at one point.
0: Uh, That was before my time, but.
3: Well, then everybody was like, we don't
0: want to do movies anymore. (laughs) Well, then we started watching good movies because you showed me Whiplash for the first time. You showed me. Uh, Spider-Verse for the first time.
3: That, really? Was that your first time seeing it? It was, yeah. I guess because it's kind of a recent film.
2: Well, I mean, along those lines, why don't we just go and dive into the top 20? Yeah, yeah. What is one of the films in your top 20?
3: Uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. There
2: we go. <laughs> <laughs> wow. We'll start there. What
3: a transition. What a great film.
2: It is a great movie.
3: I think that what I really love about that movie is that well, I like a movie that really challenges sort of a style of very popular film, right? So, of course, it's the 1st Marvely film that like really introduces the like multiverse. Mm-hmm. And now that's everything <laughs> and kind of maybe getting a little tired of it because it's kind of probably too much at this point. Yeah, but sure. that movie is a work of art, especially as an animation film. Um, and I'm excited about the second one, which I think every single universe they go to is supposed to, like, have its own yeah. style of art. Yeah.
2: Like,
1: like pff, mind yeah. blown. The, the first time you saw Into the Spider-Verse, did the, did the frame rate ever mess with you? Oh, I know some people— I know some The trailer, people
2: was like, I was like, oh, no, that's going to be tough mm. to
1: watch. But I,
2: I think you get used to it. I don't sure.
1: think I necessarily really—
3: picked up on that i don't know that it affected me i noticed it but i loved it
1: mm-hmm. I, d- I really enjoyed it because it but i do know people who are just like i literally couldn't stop just watching frame rate and not mm-hmm. a movie right yeah like, eh, fair enough
2: i don't know if you guys have seen there's a video breaking it down it's really cool that like that's not just used to like have comic book style like there's a thematic reason like mm-hmm. yeah. for the first half or three-fourths of the movie miles is animated at 12 frames a second when he's swinging around and Peter B. Parker is 24 frames a second so mm-hmm. his movements are smooth whereas oh, wow. Miles is like, while he's still learning, his movements are more jerky and jarring. Just just really smart filmmaking. Yeah. yeah. There's like some
0: old school techniques that they used. Yeah.
1: Uh, right. Which is really, really awesome. Yeah. Uh, but then, of course, Sony went and... Uh, decided to try to copyright <laughs> the the thing that is like literally using old film techniques that they were like we're gonna copyright that I'm like all right fair enough.
2: I didn't know really that. yep
1: we love our intellectual property in America yeah. right? mm, gotta have it as ours.
3: <laughs> well so that's Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. We'll dance around some selections here.
0: Okay. Okay, what's next?
3: We'll go in a d- totally different direction. Uh I have Warhorse on this list. Mm, whoa. How many of y'all have seen the movie Warhorse?
2: The DVD is on the shelf at my house <laughs> and I've never seen it. So <clears throat>
3: there's kind of a, if any of my friends from college listen to this, they're going to be laughing out loud because <laughs> I think I asked several times if the if like the group of friends wanted to watch War Horse, <laughs> but they never wanted to watch
1: it. Notorious party film War Horse. Everybody yeah, <laughs> so it
3: kind of became like the joke. Like it was like, If we're going to get together, they're like, are we going to watch War Horse tonight? And they're like, no one wants to watch War Horse, David. It is a very sad film, but it is a beautiful film. And I think I love the story because, you know, the kid like has the horse and then like he comes back and then is reunited with the horse. But there's also a sort of a aspect of this that I've been following this story since it was actually originally a stage play. And uh, it was done in New York and it's like this really elaborate puppetry that's involved with Mm. the horses themselves. So I always wanted to see that production and then they made a movie and I was like, oh, I can see the movie and the movie was really beautiful and emotional. I think it's a Spielberg movie. It is. And then I actually got to see the production, but I saw it in the Netherlands, Mm. in Dutch. Mm. Oh, wow. But I'd seen the film so many times, (laughs) it didn't matter the language. (laughs) (laughs) I still wet my eyes out because it was that moving. It's just, a beautiful play, and a beautiful film. Wow.
2: Well, this is, it seems to me like one of the lesser known Spielbergs, I guess. Right. Where like, obviously, like you go down his filmography, you have 10 plus. Oh, yeah. Purely iconic movies. And then you have some of his later stuff like War Horse or BFG. Right. Stuff like that that just kind of falls through the cracks. Mm. So I would be interested in giving War That's Horse good. a shot. Because I, I haven't enjoy thought it. about that movie in years. Yeah. I just added it to my watch list. Oh, mm-hmm.
1: wow. That makes me feel really special. Man, you couldn't even take two seconds to not be on your phone. Very, <gasps> how typical. Gosh, yeah, just these for millennials, any listeners, if you've, him. if
2: you've been listening to the podcast since it started, Michael's actually on his phone the entire time, <laughs> even when he's talking.
0: Yeah, I don't pay attention to anything that I do. No. <laughs>
2: Where are, we, where are we heading next?
0: All
3: right, we're going to head to Blade Runner next. Now, this is probably up in the higher ends, but again, we're dancing around this top 20 because it's like not really ranked. But Blade Runner is a phenomenal film. But for me, what I really loved about it, and I actually wrote a paper about this film as it relates to like urban planning and like, hmm. um, like post-apocalyptic-y sort of deconstructionist architecture, like brutalism, and like what they did with that in the film and like the aesthetic, it's incredible yeah. in the way that they sort of, and I think they did such a beautiful job in 2049 to kind of like carry those like urban planner instincts like into the way that they created that world in that city. Yeah, It's pretty great. It's pretty phenomenal. In fact, one of my classes that I took was like, a whole part of our final project was to write about urban planning in films, hmm. which I was like, this is an assignment that was written for me. It's just that great. That's so, awesome.
2: Did you like Blade Runner when you first saw it or did it take time to grow on you?
3: No, I, I loved it the first time I saw it. I saw it in architecture school. Like they showed it in an urban planning class. Oh, wow. In like an urban design class in architecture school. We saw that. We saw, what did we see? We saw, um, uh, it, two. It's on your list. Shrek three. No, nope. just <laughs> <laughs> it's um, Mike. It's on your list. I think, isn't it? Uh, um, isn't it? Jim Carrey movie. Oh, Truman, oh, Truman Show. Show. Truman yeah. Show. Yes, classic. Because it's like set in um, Seaside, seaside yeah. which is like a you know new urbanist community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyways, some good films. Um, so that's Blade Runner. Any other thoughts on Blade Runner? Well, I was
0: so I, the. How many people
3: have that in their top twenty?
0: I think 2049 is in my top 20. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Uh, I I did want to throw out the mutual connection for us and also kind of a sad uh, historical reminder for the film club was the last film club event that Matthew was here for was the Blade Runner. And the theaters. In in June. Mm. We watched that at the Center Mark and Pearl. Was that his last one? It was his last one before he moved away.
3: Move back, Matthew,
2: please. I bet that was an amazing cinematic experience, though. It was. It was was great.
3: I had not seen it in theaters, obviously. And so that was really cool to see in theaters. Yeah. That was Mary Lee's first time to see it. And she was like, What am I watching? And I was like, Blade Runner. She's like, Okay. She really enjoyed it, I think. Weird question. Oh, go ahead. Sorry.
2: I was just going to say, Did you watch the movie on like, what was it, November 19th, 2019? Oh, no. When like the first, (laughs) when the title comes up? I might have, but I don't think so. But I feel like
3: I remember when that happened with um, was it Back to Future?
2: Yeah, Back to the Future too.
3: And I feel like I probably would have done that, but I can't even remember twenty twenty. Actually, I made this list in September of twenty twenty. It's just a long time ago. It seems yeah. that's like eighteen months
0: ago. That's a while. Well, that's yeah, I was gonna been ha- thinking about this podcast. I was gonna this ask episode? is there a-
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> is there a particular cut you tend to go to? You know, no.
3: no I think the. I'm trying to think of what the cut that I saw that was the first one. It was a pretty, like our architecture professor had like, you know, craft curated this selection of films Mm. for us. So I think it was a pretty selective cut, but I just don't remember which one it was. And I haven't seen it that many times to really, what did we, we watched the, which cut did we see in theaters? Uh, It it was was the the final cut. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I've only ever seen the final cut. I've seen it twice. The that's first time, the, the I was,
0: one that's on HBO Max too.
2: Yeah, the first time I was, I was a little, I guess I was just not expecting what it was. Right. Um, and then the second time, I really leaned into it a lot more and loved it a lot more. I still have issues with it. I'm not a big fan of the Sebastian character. Um, I don't love the uh, Deckard and um Rachel like, right. relationship. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's. There's not like one big thing that I don't like about the movie. There's little things I don't like, but overall, you I
1: talking about the origami, expensive. little things. That's
2: what do you good. mean? <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, cool. like I, I, but like all the like Blade Runner, Blade Runner stuff, I love so much. Like yeah. what it's known for, right? So good. It yeah. is
0: great. Oh I man, in 2049, the soundtrack is. Cool.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, it is really good. I mean, yeah. I'm I'm kind of in the same boat where I appreciate a lot more about it than I would say that I like I love the movie itself but there's so much about it that it's just a beautiful looking film so you just like you really can watch it to just go I don't know how they did this and it's magic which is Definitely. like that's good cinema to me. Oh yeah.
2: Definitely.
3: Speaking of great soundtrack. Oh, come on. Um Lion is on my list and oh. the reason that this is on my list is because there's several movies that like no matter how many times I watch it, I will weep in. And I think that there's some sort of, I mean, my any if you're into the Enneagram, my Enneagram is two. And so I feel things very deeply. Um, so I'd love to cry in a movie, but I think that the story of this film is really powerful. And I think that it's like, it's a very simple film. Like it's not, you know, I wouldn't say that every single aspect of it is out. I wouldn't say that like the acting performances like blew my mind or anything, but as far as just a film that's like something that if it were running on TV in 20, 30 years, oh, I guess whatever we're watching at that point, some form of streaming. Your um, <laughs> yeah, You know, it'd be like, I would totally sit down and watch this. This is such a great, or like show my kids this movie because it's just such a great film mm-hmm. as far as the story and the like, the emotions of it. It's really sad though, because I mean, he does go back at the end, but that's when he. Spoiler yeah. alert! That's, I've actually never seen it, I gonna, so I was yeah, okay, forward, I'm not going to say uh, yeah, anything about spoilers.
2: it. I was going to ask, like, have you seen it? Yeah, I was going to okay. ask what gets you emotional. Is it like the because the it's not super, <clears throat> a, a spoiler to say that he kind of gets lost, the the, right. the character gets lost as a child. Is that the stuff that gets you, or is it the end that gets you? I think the
3: the end definitely gets me. Yeah, and I think that this isn't. Mm, I don't think this is gonna spoil anything, but he sort of he gets separated from his family. That's like the yeah. story. But if you like I have another movie on here that has to do with family separation. It's <laughs> not that there's been that like my family's a very intact family, but I think there's something about that sort of idea of like this family sort of being ripped apart by some sort of natural disaster sort of occurrence, or that's not necessarily the case. Well, it's here, but it's nobody's fault. Something that's nobody's mm-hmm. fault. And then you sort of rip something so emotional apart and then you're trying to spend your life rebuilding it or like trying to spend the length of the movie finding that is always very compelling for me.
2: I think Mm -hmm. also part of it is watching that and knowing that it's a true story, but also like this kind of stuff happens every day right? and that's terrifying and super sad.
3: It is super sad. Uh, but it's also, I think that they just do such a, the movie's very delicate in the way that they portray all of that and they do a great job of kind of going back and forth with you keeping up with it and then the the piano soundtrack with it is just spectacular.
0: So I I study to it. I actually don't know if I was meant to watch it this way, but Mm, the- Backwards? (laughs) uh,
3: While hanging upside down?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'm actually not... I don't really have a sense. It's been so long since I've seen it. I don't know how long the first part is when he's a child. Mm. But there weren't subtitles mm. whenever I watched it. So oh, I, yeah. I had no idea, like, what anybody was saying. Oh,
3: wow. But Did the whole, you watch so the whole it time,
0: in India? I, I just felt lost. Oh yeah, hmm. oh. but it really worked for me okay. because yeah. it got me into that space. Like, because I didn't I, I, the whole time. I was like, I know that Dev Patel speaks English, like, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, so somewhere along here, somewhere there's along here, there's and he has an Australian scene. accent. Yeah, uh, it's a, there, it was an interesting experience, but hmm. I, 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 for some reason, just didn't have subtitles. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. It's a great watch. Yeah,
2: beautiful movie, very minimalist.
0: Yeah. I agree. Very emotional.
3: Uh,
2: very emotional.
0: But uh, uh, you you kind of brought up the other family separation movie. Yes, but I want to save it to
3: the end. Because oh. it is definitely a top film mm.
0: okay.
3: for me. But we'll get back to it. But another good soundtrack movie. Hazer. Also, I think when I, I'm i looking back at my notes of when I made this and I like gave it sort of categories like <laughs> best cinematography or uh, guilty pleasure, best visual effects. But... Great soundtrack and best cinematography goes to The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Oh, I thought Mm -hmm. you
2: were going somewhere else with that.
3: So the reason I like this movie, because it is a very overall mediocre film, I would say. But it is a phenomenal watch because, and I wrote about this in my, that class that I was talking about. But also because from a cinematographic standpoint, every single frame of that film is perfectly proportionally framed. Like <laughs> it is stunning. The color, the layout, everything is perfection. And, you know, I feel like they could have probably gotten somebody better than Ben Stiller to kind of be in it. But like soundtrack is great. Some great music on there. and yeah, it's, I love Jose Gonzalez. And I watched it in theaters. Uh, did anybody get to see it in theaters? No. That was where the experience, I've watched it, I think, six, Six or seven times mm. in theaters because, I mean, it. like I said, the cinematography of it, you're just like sort of engulfed in like mm-hmm. this, you know, because a lot of it's in Iceland and Greenland. It's like beautiful, breathtaking. And you're mm-hmm. like, this is a movie, not like a documentary. Mm. I don't know. Maybe that's what endeared it to me so much, but I could watch that over and over again. But then uh, if any of y'all remember um, Deep South Pops, which is located... Over by Millsaps College, the owner of that store is Jake Franklin, and he told me a story about how he decided he was going to open the store Deep South Pops was because he was watching that movie Secret Life of Walter Mitty at a kid's birthday party on mm-hmm. an inflatable screen, <laughs> and <laughs> he that. said, "What am I doing with my life? I've got to go do follow my passion." That's oh. awesome. And now he had then then we have Deep South Pops. That's, That's really incredible. cool. Isn't that incredible. Oh, fun fact. So I think there's just a lot that kind of makes that movie special for
2: me. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. If you were going to cast somebody other than Ben Stiller, or even what is it about Ben Stiller that you feel like doesn't quite work in that role? Did you know
2: he directed it?
1: I did not know I that. I did know that. yes. That's
2: kind of crazy. I didn't. Hmm.
1: I think that that may be where the disconnect sometimes is.
3: I don't know that I've seen like a movie that's starred in and directed by someone that's like that'd be a good podcast episode. Oh. Hmm. Movies that are starred in, yeah, like Bradley Cooper in *Stars Born*. Um, But yeah, I think I don't know who it would be. That's a good question. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. I think that I love Kristen Wiig. I think she's also a little kind of not quite in herself as Mm -hmm. an like an actress in movies at that point too. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I don't know. Uh, But it is a great, great breathtaking movie to watch. Um, All right. I'm going to go into a series of guilty pleasures. Okay. Okay. Do it. We're going to start with Aladdin the live action movie. Oh wow, classic. This is probably one of my favorite live action Disney movies. I mean, Guy Ritchie is so fun. Right. I mean, so there's a lot if we if we were to like break down the movie itself, I could critique a lot. But there's also a lot about my movies that I kind of throw those critiques out the window and I'm like, I just love this movie. Mm -hmm. So, like, I don't love that he has clearly sped up a lot of parts of the film to, like, fit, like, some of the sequences when they're, like, going through the town and they're doing all these, like, intense sequences. I thought at one point some of the dancing was sped up and actually it was not sped up. Hmm. They're just very good fast dancers. But he does speed up the scene that's like where Aladdin is kind of running through the market and stuff.
1: Yeah.
3: Um but what I think that I really love about this movie is that it's it t- took a lot for Will Smith to not like to take on that role knowing kind of that it was like mm-hmm. All, like who the genie was beforehand and Robin Williams in his role. And I think he does a good job of kind of doing that. I think the some of the original CGI from the original trailer kind of freaked people out from the genie mm-hmm. and they went back and fixed it. But this is a movie where I remember walking out of it and my wife and I were like, this is a movie that we would be okay with watching over and over again when we have kids, Mm -hmm. because I think that there's something to be said about how much like parents have to watch movies over and over (laughs) again with their kids. Like I'm just seeing all these like TikToks and things of people like people who have now know every like line and choreography to like, you know, we don't talk about Bruno and like they're singing it over and over again. And I'm like, you know, that's a part of parenthood. Yeah. We almost exclusively talk about Bruno right now. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So it's like, I feel like if, if we can go ahead and find those movies that we cherish (laughs) that we could watch over and over again and stomach over and over again, that's not frozen, then uh, that's on the top of the list. But I also, I'm a big movie music. I'm a big musical fan. Mm -hmm. I'm a big movie musical fan. And so, Some of the arrangements in there, like I did not like a lot of the arrangements in the Beauty and the Beast live action. I thought they just kind of butchered Be Our Guest. I felt like it fell totally flat. But when they do that Prince Ali number in Aladdin and it's like he kind of like he builds it up and then they're like, okay, we're going to wait for like the Sultan or whatever. And then they kind of break it down. I think I like got chills up my spine and leapt out of my seat because musically it
1: hit a really strong note for me. So I don't know. It's a good movie. I think I just need to watch it for the fact I kind of forgot this is a guy Ritchie musical, which is a crazy concept. And right. so I haven't really thought of it that way. And now that you've said this in combination, I'm like, I think I need to watch it. I've I've kind of steered clear. Choreographically, it is. It is.
3: A feat. Hmm. It's like, you know how like West Side Story. If you've ever, if you know much about musicals, West Side Story is like a behemoth to kind of take under. It's very complicated. It's very layered. The music rhythms change every five measures. It's nuts. Uh this choreographically is like the West Side story. Mm-hmm. Hmm. It's it's very elaborate and impressive. That sounds cool. That's Aladdin.
2: I don't that that took me completely off guard. Sitting here looking at your list, I was like, oh cool, he's got Aladdin on there. Thinking it was the animated movie, yeah. So it took me off guard. That's well, interesting.
3: I the animated film is like number one. Well, like not number one, but like one of the top five animated movies yeah, of all amazing. time for me. Like Lion King, Aladdin, Toy Story. Well, we'll get to Toy Story in a minute, that's my but job. yeah, yeah. And it was also, uh, I mean, that year, 2019. That's when Disney came out with live action Aladdin, uh, Lion King, live live action Lion King. Toy Story 4, Star Wars Episode 9. Yeah, I was surprised they did that one live. And action. in f- game. <laughs> <laughs> and in game. So it was like the culmination of two very significant, like recent, like, you know, the, the new trilogy of Star Wars, the whole Avengers thing. Yeah. And then like live actions or additional films for all of our like childhood movies. It was a big year for Disney for films for millennials. I
2: think that might be the biggest year for box office ever.
3: I think it probably was.
2: I can't, I don't know what else would be Dumbo, I know Dumbo live action had a large (laughs) tour apart the box office. Still (laughs) trying to recover from that one. Dumbo? So
0: that was (laughs) number one in your guilty pleasure so far. What's the next one? Yes, another guilty pleasure
3: is The Greatest Showman.
0: Mm. Okay. I love this film so much. It,
3: um, You know, again, movie musicals, and I could like the the music duo. The music duo that did this show did Dear Evan Hansen. They did um, they did a song, a new song in the new Aladdin. They did that additional song, Mm. Um, and they've done a couple other things. I think they did um, the what is it, a a Christmas Story the musical. I think they wrote the music for that. Mm. Uh, They're a really cool duo for like songwriting duo um and i think they did la la land oh okay they did the music for la la land um i guess it's just kind of par for the course from my selections (laughs) um i think that you know it's a it's a guilty pleasure movie but i think that it hits on every note and i think it was such an unexpected hit like people didn't really know about it it's a totally new concept for a musical it was kind of a big swing for them to do they had and i watched a lot of the um i don't know if y'all seen any of the behind the scenes um uh like videos of kind of how they made it because they had had hugh jackman come in and he was like signed on to the project and then he had to have like I think a, some skin cancer or something moved removed from his nose mm-hmm. before they were pitching it to these big executives in New York, and they had a bunch of the different actors. It was not Zendaya, and it was not uh, Zach Efron at the time. It was actually Jeremy Jordan, who is in. If you've seen the last five years, the movie with Anna Kendrick, mm-hmm. he's in that. He's a musical guy, or Cynthia Erivo. If you're familiar with her, she's kind of coming out. It's kind of she's been recently nominated. She was in um, Harriet. She was Harriet Tubman. She got nominated. She's she was Aretha in the National yeah, Geographic. That's Bachelor. what I was thinking of. She's gonna be in Wicked. Anyways, she they were they were the other, the other two roles. And they were performing something. And I think Jeremy Jordan sang for Hugh Jackman because he couldn't sing because of his nose injury or whatever. And so, but he was still there. And so, like, I think he read through the parts, but he couldn't sing because of how much it used the upper part of his like. Face, yeah. So they're, they're singing the, this big number. I can't remember what it was. Um, the big last number. And it kind of builds. Well, like Hugh Jackman gets up. You You can watch the video of it happening. And he gets up and he starts singing in the middle of it, like with it, and he like takes over singing it. But like everybody, you can like see the pain in his face when he's doing it, but he's like there for the performance. Mm. And like everyone, there's not like a dry eye in the whole room. I'm like, what? that is such a cool moment. Like, and cause it's totally like, you know, they're just recording on their phones for like these executives. And I think that's what sold a lot of these executives on the movie was because of they had this really cool emotional, you know, selling moment with the with the production. But I think it's a good, feel-good musical, but total guilty pleasure. <laughs>
2: yeah. I think it's a super, it's very like digestible. Right. Anybody can watch it and like it. Right. Um, I do think it's funny that the whole movie is about like, no matter what you look like, <laughs> no. you can be accepted. The three main actors are Zach Franz and Dan like right. the most attractive humans on yeah. the planet, but yeah, it, i watched it in class. There's
3: too, also a lot of like year. issues around like the way that I think uh the um bt Barnum
1: treated people yeah. yeah the the kind of concept of like, no, I'm trying to create a family for us all to be accepted was like very much not true, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well we're I just I do think a movie's that. a movie though. You can <laughs> yeah. you can right. separate the guilty pleasure. You just ignore what you want to ignore. Yeah, ideally you don't go to your musicals <laughs> to learn the true history of the world. Right. <laughs> um okay, I'm gonna get one kind of out of the way
3: because I think it I feel like I want to explain it because I don't I'll just get to it. <laughs> the movie Manhattan. Has anybody seen it? Made not. in Manhattan? Nope, just Manhattan. It's a Woody Allen film. It's one of his kind of of ones, kind of like probably the top of his list of what he's known for. I
0: starring Woody Allen.
3: No, uh, yes, actually, and who else is it Meryl Streep in it? Diane Keaton. Diane Keaton. That's who it is. Meryl Streep is in it. Yeah.
0: Um, I do not
3: already. Woody Allen is problematic, but specifically, what I love about this film. And that the introduction to the film, like the first 10 minutes of the film, is just shots of New York City in black and white set to the New York Philharmonic playing Bohemian Rhapsody. Hmm. Which is the most quintessential New York thing
1: possibly <laughs> ever in film. And then Billy the Joel the is- comes out and he's like, hey, Brooklyn Bridge. And then it's, you know, <laughs> they cover all the boxes. Yeah. <laughs>
3: So I think that that's really what I love about the, I mean, like to start a film that long with that full song is a commitment. Mm. Uh, And it is kind of a bit like it's very New York in the way that it's shot and the places they go to. Um, But that opening sequence is my favorite opening sequence of a film Mm. of all time.
2: That's Manhattan. Gotta watch that one. Michael, that sounds like it could be your cup of tea. I don't know. Yeah, I
0: haven't seen that one. I've actually not seen uh, a good bit. Uh, on your list. I've only got
1: 57% coverage.
2: I think I've we need to
1: work 57%. on that. Yeah. I, think I am working 100%. on it. Now. It's okay.
3: We can watch some.
1: Weirdly, I haven't seen hardly any Woody Allen films. He's one of those like filmmakers. I just know of. You haven't seen, seen, I seen I Midnight in Paris? Any of his. Yeah. I've, I've in never Paris. seen Midnight in Paris. Really? It's a good one. It's a good okay, one. I'm in. That's the one that most people are like, go to that one at first, if you're going to watch anything.
3: But I also well, it's think it's important Alan to Wilson. just
2: mm-hmm.
1: know that like, let's just be honest.
3: Woody Woody Allen is a problematic human being.
2: But can you separate art from artists?
3: I think yes, unless their art is like their art reflects whatever is clear. Like if you watch, I can't remember the other film. There's another film that he has where like he's written an older character to like this younger girl. Uh. I think it's played by Emma Stone. Mm. And I think that she didn't really quite know what she was getting into. I don't know. It's kind of been problematic because you're like, wait a minute. I think Ronan Farron was on something. (laughs) Mm. And you're like, this isn't great. This continues to not be great because you continue to write roles for... But, okay, there is another film that he has that Kate Blanchett was in. What was the name of that movie? Blue... Blue Velvet?
2: Blue Velvet. Is that it? No, No, that's that's, uh, the David Lynch movie. Blue... Valentine? Sky? Something blue, blue Valentine or something blue jasmine
3: blue, blue jasmine Friends. is that it oh my gosh there's Never so many blue it, movies <laughs> <laughs>
2: there are too many blue great movies.
3: performance by Kate Blanchett that's it
2: yeah oh, <laughs> I thought there was more to that story sorry that was the, just, that was just the end good. of that glad we figured out it was blue jasmine though. yep um, worked our
3: way to it let's see where I'm gonna hop to now <sighs> okay we'll go to another movie that <laughs> have y'all seen extremely loud and incredibly close no. I read the book. Okay. The book is better than the film. It is, but... But it's on my list. Yeah. Because I cried in this movie. (laughs) Mm. But it's also, there's a lot of like overlapping ties to this. Mm -hmm. It is very New York City. It is about a very hard topic, but it's from the perspective of a kid. And I think there's also something about a performance from, oh, what's her name? <laughs> I should know her name. Uh, Sandra Bullock. <laughs> Thank you. Sandra Bullock. That if she is like playing a certain character and does something and cries, I'm going to cry. <laughs> like there's this moment where, uh, this doesn't give anything away, but the little boy, um, like he's trying to find, he's on a, he's on a mission to sort of find himself, but to like kind of find some r- remaining pieces of something that he's lost and so his mom is kind of letting him go on that journey and so there's this moment where he's like going out the door and they're very disconnected cuz i can't they don't really ever never mind well so he leaves and she's kind of trying to connect with him and she she's having a hard time and so he leaves and walks out the door and you see under the door frame there's like a little piece of light and he you kind of see some movement and she leans down and they're both leaning down kind of to listen for each other. And she covers her mouth to try not, try not to cry. And I'm just a, I'm just a weeping mess because it's like, you know, she's just trying to connect to their son. But <clears throat> there's also a great performance in it by, what's that older guy's name? Max Fonsito. Yes. He's phenomenal. I think he won an Academy Award for it. I don't think mm. he says anything in the film. Really? I think he may not say much of anything at all, but he is phenomenal in this film. And um, it got like, a lot of people didn't really like the movie because I think it just doesn't like, it doesn't like, it the story arc just doesn't quite catch right and it doesn't land quite right. But I think the, the way that it tackles such a hard topic and from the perspective of a kid, and it sounds like that's from the way the book is, I just, I really love this movie and I can, I watched it with my dad and
1: movies. I think we both cried. (laughs) It was one of those where the story is, is almost not entirely the point and it is like very introspective. So it was one of those, as soon as they said they were developing it into a film, I was like, I don't, we'll see what happens. So I think some of it is like, I don't, I don't think they did a bad job of, of adapting it. I just think it's hard to, hard to do. It's just hard. It's hard to do.
3: Yeah. Like um, any William Faulkner book. Mm.
2: <laughs> Who did those? James, James, Franco. James Franco. Did y'all <laughs> <I> see <laughs> any of those? I auditioned for one when oh, I was reading. Really? Yeah.
3: I saw the premiere of As Ellie Dying? Yes. Was That's that the, the one split I one? Before. Was that the split screen one?
2: I don't know. I never saw any of them. One of, of the films is entirely
3: that. in split screen. <laughs> <laughs> one of them is entirely split screen. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's very hard to watch. I saw Sounds it.
2: Sounds classic James Franco.
3: Yep. I saw it premiere
2: at the Lyric at Oxford. People.
3: Wow! And then afterwards, we went to William Faulkner's grave, which was just appropriate. So,
2: wow! With James? No, you and James walked over. Yeah, we did. That's the story I'll tell. Pay your respects. (laughs) Um,
3: Okay, another controversial pick. (laughs) My wife does not like this movie, (laughs) The Way Way Back. Hmm. I really can't explain this movie and why I like it. I think that there's, I think that I like the actors in it and I like their performances because I don't know, maybe this is when I really kind of like caught on to like Tony Collette mm-hmm. and ha- like who she is. Cause if you've ever seen the United States of Tara, uh, it's like a three season show that she kind of got founded in. And then I love anything. Oh, what's the other actress's name in it? Um,
2: <sighs> Anna Sophia Robb. No, Allison Janney. Allison yeah. Janney. Yeah. I
3: love Allison Janie. I think that I wish that she was my aunt or something. <laughs> because she would be a great aunt. Um, but she is, <laughs> they're both phenomenal actresses. And I think they're both great. And then Sam Rockwell kind of has this sort of side role in it. Yep. And he's kind of, he's this, he's this like, is he like
1: run the like water park? Yeah, he is sort of like- the, that weird role of, like, not entirely man-child because he has some responsibilities, right. but also... And he has those responsibilities. and yeah. he, he owns them. But also is a little bit of a, a... Kind of likes the persona of the slacker a little bit. Yeah. It's, it's, it is interesting. And, of course, Sam Rockwell is just good and everything, so... Right. He's just and he's great. married to Maya Rudolph, yeah. who is, like, pregnant.
3: The character is pregnant in the film. And they, like, run this, like, Martha's Vineyard, like, tiny... <laughs> um like water park and the kid like kind of finds himself in this community. And I think that's part of It's just like this kid is kind of like just figuring out who he is, but all these wild characters around him. Cause I mean, the adults are just insane. <laughs> I think that like, there's just all this drama of like, who's, and I think is there like Steve Steve Carell's Steve in Carell's it, in yeah, it as Carell. a
1: stepfather and his performance is great. Cause he plays this like subtle, I'm trying to be fatherly, but also that kind of like, I have this weird alpha male persona despite right. being, he's Steve Carell. Like he mm. looks like Steve Carell, is Steve Carell. And yet he sort of has, he just does a great job of playing that. It's and an it's interesting the, energy.
3: And it's kind of the first time that he starts to like, I guess, tiptoe into like villainy yeah. in his roles. Because hmm. like, you know, he kind of went full villainy with, especially with like The Morning Show. In
1: Foxtrot. Fox right Fox catcher, I, Fox saw, I saw, a Fox I saw Fox a catcher
3: at in a theater in new York where like they were allowing like sag act like sag members to screen it I don't know who was in there it was dark but um it was a good film but um yeah I think that there's a lot to be said about the performances in that movie and kind of these wild characters and I think I love a movie that has a, a bigger cast that like may be known but like it's not trying to be some super ambitious thing. They're just these kind of crazy characters.
0: <laughs> I think this is the the second film where Steve Carell and Tony Collette are star. Uh, this is the second film to appear in a top 20 list. The first one being oh. Little Miss Sunshine mm-hmm. on yes. Mary's List.
3: Ah, which is a great movie, a movie and they're
0: great together. Great movie.
3: Okay, where should we head next? Hmm. Mm. We, haven't talked, there, we haven't talked about the Lego movie yet. We haven't talked about the Lego movie. How much am I going like way over time? Uh,
0: how are we doing on time, Brennan? Can't hear you. He said, hold on. He, he said, wasn't at on. his computer oh, right he, when we demanded him to be there. You dingus. What's the word? How are you saying? I was just about to say that. <laughs> oh,
3: goodness.
0: Yikes. Okay, cool. Okay, cool. I know uh, how well, how many movies are we in
2: so far? Like hit, uh, uh, let's see. One, two, half, three,
3: four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I'll stop ten.
1: interjecting, my bad.
3: No, no, you're fine. <laughs> no, no, we're just, doing great. I yeah. just need to
1: pick it up. <clears throat> okay. I will go with we'll
3: wait for the Lego movie. Okay. I'm going to go with the word for best visual effects <laughs> for Life of Pi. This movie is stunning and maybe a lot of these also have to do with when I saw them originally in theaters because mm. I just love the theater experience. And sometimes you like you really get the full effect of some of those big movies in there. And that movie is gorgeous, especially there's like a scene where like I think there it's just like this sunset and this essentially mirrors.
2: Oh, I've seen that.
3: And it's just like, I don't know how they did it. But, I mean, the the story is crazy, of course. I think most people kind of read it at some point in, like, school. I don't think I read it. But um, the story is what it is. And I think they did a good job with it. I think, you know... I think a lot of people were expecting more out of it, but I think it is something that people will revisit later and be like, this is a really great film. Hmm. Uh, I, I'd be curious. I haven't watched it in a while. I'd be really curious to see how those visual effects stand up watching them now. Because mm-hmm. I think sometimes when it comes to a movie that's like very heavily reliant on visual effects and what it does, sometimes it falls flat when it becomes very CGI because visual effects and advancements in that from like, a Star Wars or Blade Runner like sort of perspective still translates because they're very physical sort of effects. They're special effects, they're yeah. not necessarily CGI visual effects. So those still stand out because they they carry over. But I think sometimes, especially when you go watch those early Star Wars episode one, two, and three, you're just like, what were we thinking again? And why do we think this was so cool? Or when you go back and see some of those other films, you're like, we thought this was the best thing ever. Yeah. But I'd be curious to see how that...
2: I think maybe, this. Is, I mean, I haven't seen Life of Pi, but I remember the talk of like, oh my gosh, you got to see this tiger. Mm -hmm. I think maybe what it is, is not so much that like it's the best CG animal ever in a movie. Um, I think maybe it's that it it was like the first photo real animal. Right. So at the time it was like, this is crazy. And it probably still holds up. It's just that we're more used to seeing it now, even with the live action Lion King, like Lion King, the new Planet of the Apes movies, like it's become more commonplace, but in 2012 when it came out, it was like, is that a real tiger? Cause right.
3: Like, I don't know. Well, and I think that they do such a good job too, because it's like the setting of this film and like the way they shot, like the, they pull in sort of the surrounding as well helps make it not just about like the tiger or the animals. It makes it about the setting just as much. And so I think that will probably help it in the long run because you're like, it's just gorgeous film. Oh. <coughs> Sorry. Um, <clears throat> Okay, now we're going to go to, um, sorry for the long pause. We're going to go to The Tree of Life. Mm. Ah, The Tree of Life. Okay. Is
1: that Darren Aronofsky? Mm -hmm. That's Terrence Malick. Terrence Malick. Oh, yeah,
3: yeah. This is probably the most quintessential Terrence Malick film because... Has everybody seen it? Has I have not.
2: I would. I really wish I had watched it before this. It's been on my watch list for literally years. I, I gave this I
3: movie it. to Michael for his birthday, and I said like I want to watch this with you because this is a movie that I like to watch with people. Oh, did you say that?
0: Yeah, and
3: then discuss <laughs> it with them.
0: Uh, well, I've only seen it the once. Um, uh, I didn't realize that, but
3: oh, uh,
2: <laughs>
0: it's okay. I, I watched the director's cut, which I, I didn't I think know there were
2: multiple cuts. Was uh.
0: It was like 43 minutes longer. Yep. Probably uh, was oh, considerable.
2: Oh, is it the cut that has Sean Penn in it? Yes. Yeah. Didn't Sean Penn get cut out of the movie? And uh, a lot set? of it
3: got A lot of him got cut out of it, but I saw it in theaters. Um, and so what Terrence Malick does, especially in this film, and the performances here are phenomenal, um, is that it's very, there is really no clear plot line. Mm-hmm. It is about... The human experience and human emotion, and then sort of the vastness, I don't know, of humanity and existence.
2: But he's he there's th- random shots of dinosaurs, right? Mm. There's there's a lot to this. There's movie. a lot I don't, I, don't I mean, I don't I'm not asking for spoilers, obviously, no, but like, yeah. I'm just interjecting. I don't that's think what you can
3: even spoil this movie because <laughs> there's no it's visual. It's, it's all visual. It's an, it's, okay. yeah, it's an audiovisual experience. It is. And mm. um so, like, there is this sort of storyline that is, like, a throwback of Sean Penn's, like, childhood. And his father is played by Brad Pitt. And his mother is played by Jessica Chastain. And,
0: yeah, those are also great performances. Yeah, but
3: there's, like, no talking.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's
3: a lot of, like, people and walking in like, distance. The dialogue is
0: so important. Yes. But it also feels so out of, like, I don't know. He also does this thing where, like, if
3: there's an emotional moment, like, someone gets a phone call that someone has passed away or something. He will like, he will, you'll hear, (gasps) and then it'll cut out There's silence. And then you just kind of see somebody like weeping in silence. Uh And so it like, it's this, this extreme sort of um, contrast. And it will, it, it immediately evokes emotion from you. And it's kind of designed to do that. But then he'll like spend 30 minutes that basically sort of, if, Terrence Malick tried to make Planet Earth about how Planet Earth was made in his mind. That's what you get in like the the two-thirds of the movie for like 45 minutes. Yeah, yeah. And then you're like, what is going on here? And then you can like talk about it. But there's a lot in that movie. And it's a great movie to sort of watch with somebody with the intention of talking about it afterwards. Yeah. It's
0: good,
2: and it has now shot up on my watch list. I'm pretty, yeah, really yeah. Wish yeah. I'd
0: seen it. Well, I've got the Criterion. It was my first Criterion. Nice. So thank you, David. You're welcome.
3: Okay, we'll go to. Okay, we're gonna go to Twelve Years a Slave. Okay. Mm-hmm.
2: I just put this on. I think it just came on HBO Max, and I just put it on my list there because i Yeah, I've it.
0: heard it's a hard one to watch. Yeah. It
3: is a very hard film to watch. Um, so. And it's kind of like, I don't, I have a lot of, like, I feel conflicted about putting it in my top 20 films. But I think that it's, hmm, there's a lot to be said about this movie. And I I actually, when I wrote for The Reflector at Mississippi State, I wrote, like I did movie reviews. And this is one of the ones that I wrote, wrote about. And when I went into the movie, this is so embarrassing. When I went to the movie, we didn't know what the movie was about. And I'm glad I did. And we just knew we were going to the movies, and we—I don't think we had picked the film yet, but I kind of wanted to see it. But we had like <laughs> so bad. We had dressed up as like ultra hipsters just to go to the movies because we were like doing something early, and so we went to the movie. And I felt so bad watching the movie because I'm like, here I am dressed as like beanie scarf wearing hipster in this film, <laughs> but. That's the most embarrassing thing I've probably ever done. But the movie itself does such a great job of telling a story that hadn't been told, like the sort of experience of slavery in that sort of context with as much visual and emotional sort of emphasis like it did with as much star power as it did in a bunch of different contexts, and so they touch on a lot of different types of um con like different situations but all of the performances are outstanding and it is a very hard film to watch i think it's a necessary watch um because i think that for a long time for me personally my i guess that for me you know we, people talk about slavery, people show films about slavery. This is the first time where I really felt and could see a lot of pain and agony that was very real about that. It made it more real than I'd ever felt it before. And I think that that's such a important part of sort of specifically growing up in the South, like your understanding of that context and and another person's journey, and what they know, and they because uh, it's not like that's the first film that's ever really done that. That's not groundbreaking, but for me, that was what that experience was. And so, to kind of match that with the sort of respect and and craft that they that um, Steve McQueen put into that film, I went into it because I was like, I want to see this really supposedly well crafted film. But it took me on this like sort of very emotional and educational journey personally that sort of changed the way and opened my eyes to something I hadn't seen before. Mm. And I love a film that does that. Um, and I think it also introduced us all to Lupita Nyong'o, which we're she all- She won for that, right? Yes, yeah, she did.
0: Um, that, oh, we're that, all, was, that was kind of- her that was her, her breakout role. Wow! Man.
2: I feel like she's disappeared. I, I really want to see more of her. She's one of my favorite actresses. Oh, she, she was in this she,
0: really cute Zom rom com. I knew exactly what you're as Little Monsters. I think. Yeah. It was, yeah. It's not great, but it's not great. She's good in it. She performs uh, Taylor Swift covers on the ukulele wearing a yellow dress for like kindergartners. Yeah,
1: it's so cute. I also really liked. Uh, anyways, no, very, that's very a totally an aside. Yeah, in aside. She's great. Insert aside. I think it won Best Picture
2: not yes
3: yeah interesting um what's also you know there's just i can't i don't want to say too much because i don't want to speak into that space because i don't know anything Mm -hmm. but as far as film goes i think there's a lot to be said about the way that he approached the film what he did with the film the where it's shot like the setting is very perfect it was shot in louisiana and um a lot of the imagery is very metaphorical um when they do these sort of shots of the like the Louisiana swamp and like the sunset and the sunrise
1: and yeah anyways yeah, Steve McQueen like lets things linger in a way that I don't know it it like imbues things with more meaning yeah he's just kind of one of those filmmakers
3: he takes it to the level where it's when he wants you he really takes you to an uncomfortable place mm-hmm. because you need to be uncomfortable about it
0: mm.
3: yeah um okay, something lighter. Um, let's go to my favorite Marvel movie, Black <laughs> Panther. Mm. I think that this film is, it's probably one of my top favorite. I mean, I'm a massive Black Panther f- fanatic. I have like a Black Panther Funko Pac. I've got a pop. Whatever. I used to have a great <laughs> iPhone case. I have, um... The Lego, like, uh, Black Panther, Lego, man. I've Did got this predate poster. the movie
1: or was it the movie It's kind of got you into the character?
3: I had gotten in the character a little bit before, mm. not as deeply as I had post the movie. Yeah. So, and I didn't really know what to expect with the movie, but I, 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 I'd gotten into it kind of right before he was introduced in, what was it, Civil War? Mm-hmm. And then Civil War, I was like, I need more of this. And then I got really into it right before the film. And then- saw the film in theaters four or five times at least, and then was just like completely engulfed. And like, I think that the world of Wakanda is fascinating to me as again, urban urban planning perspective. I'm like, I need to know more. I need, I need a book on the architecture of Wakanda Mm. like ASAP would be great. Um, but I think that, as a as a Marvel film, it also like broke form a lot because it was like this w- incredibly well done, uh, like standalone story that didn't really rely on anybody else character wise because now they have to have somebody else in it, and it was just and it's also obviously a major cultural phenomenon moment and like it just like blew up and was everywhere, and it has its own sort of cultural significance, but. I don't know, there's something like very electric about the the sort of world of that and the way that, that um, they were able to just kind of explode that and just kind of take it to these new levels. And yeah. like all these new creatives were involved in the process that had never really gotten sort of this level of involvement at these high levels, of these big productions. And to introduce them into that was really powerful. But I think there's so- something to be said about taking risk in sort of being like, you know, the creative process and being like, we're going to put new people in these spaces that aren't your typical cinematographers or your production designers or costume designers and, and give them that platform because they're going to step up to the plate. Yeah. And everybody did. And it was, it paid off and it's a phenomenal film.
1: I mean, there's, there's truly no way we would have like a Shang-Chi if, if Black Panther oh, right. did not hit in the way it did. Right. So it, it really did like, even though they, you know, it's not like every Marvel movie has been like great. We totally learned our lesson and want to make interesting things with creatives that belong in that space, but like but it does come through sometimes and I truly don't think we would have that if Black Panther was not so successful.
3: Right. And I think that it's just so that's a great point because so this is I I like hmm. I'm very into Disney, if you don't know me. <laughs> very into it. It's a little much sometimes but that's okay but (laughs) I'm fascinated in the way that the business is like run and like I also like Disney World because of the way it is again urban planning the way that they've like built a city it all makes sense but they have this new CEO that nobody likes his name is Bob JPEG but people respell his name and it's Bob Paycheck, but that's okay. <laughs> but he came in at the beginning of the pan- like when in March, when the stock market crashed, Disney said, huh, Let's swap out our CEOs because we'll just ride that, that dip down and just let it come back on up. Because the guy before that was Bob Iger, and he was sort of this very Walt esque, charismatic figure. He's written a book, he's, he's with running for president, he's just like very larger than life. And he's the one who bought Pixar. He's the one who bought Marvel. He's the one who bought Star Wars. He's the one who bought 20th Century Fox. He made a lot of good investments for the Disney He's company. He made Disney what it is today. Mm-hmm. Exactly. The sort of new golden age. He's kind of made all these, you know, live actions. I mean, they're just turning them out, but not lately. New CEO, not so great. Anyways. <clears throat> so, the new CEO was talking at a, this, I promise this comes back to a place. Oh, you're good. Um, <laughs> He was talking about um, like how the company needs to be focused on data and all this stuff and like data driven data, blah, 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 which is stupid. A company that's based on storytelling and taking risk does not need to be focused on data only. So in this meeting, he was pitching all this stuff about we're a data driven company, tech driven, whatever, whatever. Then Bob Iger, so like the guy who just left, comes in and speaks about how it's important to not rely too much on data. Because had they not, we would not have had Coco, Black Panther, or Mm Shang-Chi. And he was just basically saying like, you need to be able to take these risks. And I think that's a great point because I feel like there's even still more risk to be taken because... There is such a desire, such a crazy rich Asians is another mm-hmm. great example of just like, there's this electricity around, you get these crea- you know, creatives who don't get these platforms because they're not chosen because quite frankly, they're not white or they're not the ones that have just had the opportunity to do that. And you get them in that space and then they just blow your mind because they're phenomenal people and they're phenomenal creatives. Once you give them that platform, you're going to get these incredibly fresh, new, blockbuster films that make you feel like, okay, I could go see a movie that's a Marvel movie and not feel like I'm just like uh, another superhero movie. But you're like, okay, this adds something to like the world of film beyond it being a superhero movie. For sure. Yeah. Anyways, I'm off my, my pedestal. <laughs> okay. Okay. Okay, next one I'm going to put on here is— I'm going to keep it short because I'm just going to keep on moving to the other ones. But I put The Departed on here because I think it has great performances and it has a great twist.
2: Mm. Scorsese. Yeah.
3: I, and it's a great Scorsese film. I,
2: I really—I watched—funnily enough, I watched The Departed and uh, Secret Life of Walter Mitty, both <clears> of them on a plane when I was like— I think I watched The Departed when I was like 12 or something on a plane— <laughs> Not ideal situation. No. I also probably couldn't follow it very well. So right. it's one I need to rewatch. But yeah, Jack Nicholson is pretty terrifying in that
1: one. I just imagine like a 12-year-old you just going, I'm not a cop.
2: Just <laughs> over not a cop.
1: It's my brother-in-law's favorite line.
3: <laughs> he quotes it a lot. Um, hey, Will. Um Okay. Let's move to okay. This will be my top five because we got five left. Nice. Um We're going to start with Toy Story. I'm just going to put all the Toy Story movies in there. I'm a sucker for a Toy Story (laughs) movie. I had a Woody doll as a kid that my mom gave away or threw away, and it was devastating. And it wasn't until college that she got me a new one, or right (laughs) before college, because I... Was a senior in high school when Toy Story 3 came out, which is when Andy goes to college. Yep. Ooh, so yeah, perfect. yeah, it's perfect. And also very emotional. And I was like, I don't want to give all my toys away. I was <laughs> like, Don't leave, please. <laughs> Here's a Woody for you. <laughs> I have it. It's in my office. Um, nice. yeah. Um, I'm a sucker for Toy Story. I just think it's a phenomenal. I don't know. It's just a top film. And sure. There's not much more to say than that. I think Toy Story. Two and three are fantastic. Mm-hmm. Four is pretty good, pretty darn good. I think there's a lot of great elements to the way that kind of is just like it's not Toy Story. It kind of took a different path a bit. Um, yeah, that's all I got to say. Toy
2: Story is great. Yeah,
3: I did get to tell Tom Hanks thank you for Toy Story once in my lifetime, so that was really special for me. As person, yeah, Thanks. I saw him in a play in New York. He was in this play called Lucky Guy, which was Nora Ephron's final play she wow. ever wrote. Yeah, And he was playing in it. And I was like, I got to see this. And then I was like, I got to get to the stage door. And so I like made it there. And I was like on the side. And I was like the first like person that he would see hopefully. And he got, a, I've got a photo. Somebody took a photo for me. Um, It was so funny. So I was like, you know, I had my playbill and he signed it. No, he had a post. I have a poster. It's in my office and he signed it. And I was like, uh, I grew up on Woody and I just wanted to thank you for like, you know, you had a large role in a like a lot of the films that I grew up in. He's like, thank you. And then somebody was like, please sign my Polar Express DVD. <laughs> As everyone, else, everyone there kind of like looked around and they were like, wow, that's a, like, I don't know that I would have gone straight to
2: Polar Express. <laughs> just on a quick aside, because that reminded me, uh, Bruce Willis was recently in Mississippi shooting a movie like yes. a couple months ago. Uh, a friend of the show, Mark Goins, uh, was working in an office just off the street. Uh, br- they were giving Bruce like a towel or something because it was pouring down rain to like wipe his bald head off or something. And Mark, being the just hilarious goof that he is, said, uh, "I loved you." in um, over the hedge, <laughs> where very, I, I just think it's genius, very so that, that's that, great. That reminded me of that. Can forever.
1: I tell? Can I tell one of those that is somebody yes, else's yes, story? Yes, because I've got okay. another one too. So. Uh, a friend of mine was in New York, sees Kevin Bacon across the street. It's Mick Parsons. And he sees Kevin Bacon. First thing that comes out of his mouth is, Hollow Man, <laughs> just in the distance. And Kevin Bacon goes, Yeah, it's a good movie. And Mick just goes, It was weird. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
3: I had, okay. This is probably my most embarrassing moment of my life. I'm at 30 Rockefeller Center. All right. And I'm walking up. Have you ever been to 30 Rock? And it's I've like, never been to a New York. I just outside.
2: now found out when you said that, that 30 Rock was is sure 30, Rock 30 Rock. Or, was yep, yep. I had also, no idea.
3: number one TV show on my list. If we were going to do top oh, 20 yeah, TV shows, show. 30 Rock is number one. Dude. Um, so I'm at 30 Rock, a fellow And I don't remember... I think I was there by myself because I was visiting a friend in New York. And so it's a beautiful building. And it's like all connected underground, which Urban Planner, love it. It's great <laughs> spaces. It's a theme here. I walk up I walk up these stairs because it's kind of like a lower floor. And then you go to the main floor. I walk up these stairs and I bump into this short man. And I look and it's, <laughs> no, it's Lorne Michaels. Oh, Whoa. my
0: God. I was about to ask, did you and see Lorne Michaels? I said,
3: Oh wow, it's you. (laughs) And he said, yes, it's me. And he like he's in a hurry and he's very bothered by the fact that he I have like interrupt I've I've physically bumped into him (laughs) and set him off course. And he's like still walking and kind of looking at me. He's like, hey. And I was like, I love your show. (laughs) Show David. Show (laughs) singular show. Try every single TV show that you ever watch. Saturday Night Live, Parks and Recreation. Uh, I'm pretty sure. Didn't he do the? Uh, he produced The Office, mm-hmm. Thirty Rock, everything that you could. Uh, Portlandia. I'm like singular show date. He's like, thanks, and kept walking. I was like, it was a Kyle Mooney moment. Like <laughs> I was Kyle Mooney. I was like, wow, uh, it's you. I'm sure he went upstairs and was like, Kyle, you're never gonna believe what I just ran into downstairs. <laughs> I was so, I was so like shook. I was. Physically shaking and I had to go sit down, I turned around and went back downstairs and like sat down at a table for like 30 minutes because I was so dizzy because I was like, I've just ruined everything. <laughs> uh-huh. Ruined everything.
2: I wouldn't even, I just looked up a picture of him. I wouldn't know who he was if I bumped into him. Oh,
0: yeah? I watched too much David,
3: you had your S&O. one
2: shot
0: I had my one SNL shot. to come to Jackson. Now you'll right, never be on S&L. S&L to come to Jackson.
1: <laughs> Will you <laughs> How do a live taping in the city of
3: Jackson, Mississippi for me?
1: <laughs> and they're like, yeah, we've never gone out of New York before, but right. sure. <laughs> live from <laughs> Jackson,
3: Mississippi, we'll do and it. And live from Jackson, Mississippi, it's Saturday night. We'll just make our own versions where we right. just dub in Jackson, Mississippi. <laughs> Also, if y'all ever, well, the 40th anniversary of Saturday Night Live was an incredible production. It was good, man. Every Everyone was there. Everyone was there. Name a famous person, like a really famous person.
2: Uh, Jeffrey Epstein.
3: Okay. Albert Einstein. Might have been there. <laughs> um, like Tom Hanks, Beyonce and Jay-Z, Rihanna, uh, Prince, like... Everyone was the artist formerly known as Prince. Right. So, <laughs> different people. Have you ever heard, like, well, okay. Prince Harry. I should probably get it back on track, <laughs> but there's a great story that Jimmy Fallon tells about that night at the after party of that 40th anniversary. That's pretty legendary about how Prince was there. And there was like, it was Paul McCartney, Jimmy Fallon, Miley Cyrus. They were performing on stage and Somebody said, Prince is here, like in the audience. And like, he said that the, the like the crowd parted ways <laughs> and he floated to the stage. Oh, sure. He said, and he got up and they played a song together. It's like, what he is, is going prince. on? Anyways. Way for Prince. <clears throat> that all came from <laughs> what like. movie? Did I say Toy Story? Yeah.
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, Toy Story.
3: Just going to <laughs> bring it back. Um, okay. <laughs> um, my next one is going to be a uh, film I always cried to. The Impossible have y'all seen this movie? I've never seen it. I'm not going to say anything about it. Except it's great. And I cried. And it's probably Tom Holland's breakout performance, in my opinion. I've been Tom Holland since day one. He's like <laughs> nine years old in this <laughs>
2: movie. Bring on the waterworks.
3: Yeah, he's great. Ewan, Mc- uh, Ewan McGregor and Kate.
2: Naomi Watts.
3: Naomi Watts, thank uh. you. Um, phenomenal. Phenomenal film. Bring a box of tissues, and watch it. That's what I'm gonna say. Awesome. Just because a lot of it has to do with like, I don't want to spoil anything.
1: So it's like a prequel to Spider-Man, though.
2: <laughs> it is.
1: Yes, it is actually. I thought a pre- it was
2: a Mission Impossible prequel.
1: Oh, actually, the alternative <laughs> name is is
3: Spider-Man: um, The Impossible. <laughs> nice. No way, Impossible. impossible. <laughs> okay, he's gotta have home. Never mind. Where to next? I'm gonna pick. I'm going to pick La La Land. City of i stars. Know. Yeah. All right. La La Land, City of Stars. Uh, a <laughs> great movie. Coloring, cinematography, performances, music, um, urban planning. <laughs> <laughs> a love letter to a city, Los yeah. Angeles. In fact, so after the movie, my wife and I saw this movie in New York City. We saw it at the Alamo Drafthouse in Brooklyn. Wow. Which is always a great experience. We had been snowed in. And we had like Southwest couldn't get us out of the city for another two days. And so we had to figure out what to do. And we had a friend that let us stay with him. And uh, we went to the Alamo draft house and saw La La Land for the first time. And it was a cinematic experience and it was phenomenal. And so then afterwards we like in April of 2019. Yeah. We went to Los Angeles and like it was, we were there for my wife's birthday. And so I did a whole like La La Land tour mm-hmm. day and mm-hmm. we rode the uh, little tram, the the like that goes up and down the hill. Yeah. And then we went to-
2: Did um, go to the observatory?
3: It was closed. Mm-hmm. It was such a letdown. We were going to, because I was like, I can also go check it out because it's a planetarium that has to do with my day job. Uh, and it was closed. And it Let's was such that. a light. That was the one place we didn't get to go to. But there yeah, was it a takes bunch forever other to places. clean the ceiling after everybody's been walking on it. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, dancing around on top of it. Um, great film.
2: I had a friend who we put on La La Land. We were just hanging out one night. And she goes, I don't like this movie. I don't like how how the colors are. Really? And I was like, we all were just like, what are you saying right now? Huh.
3: I think that that year that film was brought to you by colored bulbs.
2: <laughs> and colored fabric. Yeah.
3: Well, like, just think about it. Moonlight and La La, La Land yeah, I just, feel like, are both yeah. about just replacing LED bulbs <laughs> with blue and red <laughs> yeah. and good, green. A and good purple. year in colored bulbs. Right, right. It's just brought to you by Philips Color Hue Bulb. <laughs> <laughs> That's a sponsor for Jackson. You yes,
2: know. it is. It would be nice. This yeah. next episode is brought to you by Philips Bulbs. <laughs> I'm
0: sure that's have. how they want to be referred <laughs> to. Philips <laughs> Hue lights are what run my, uh,
2: my my living room. Yeah, entertainment
0: stuff. But that production
3: is—I mean, it's great.
2: Oh, the scene uh, uh, at the Overlook at Golden Hour. Yes. Is, yep. The fact that that's practical. Right. That was that wasn't like a green screen backdrop. Right. Oh I think gosh. that,
3: in, and then the whole first scene on the highway, and the fact they shut it down yeah. for so long. I just, I want to go watch it now. Yeah. Yeah. I know, I, I Back, we kind of go back and forth about like John Legend's character, but I'm like, no, it's kind of perfect.
2: Yeah, because like the, the, the scenes where like they're doing their concert are like trashy, but like it's supposed right. to be that way. It's, it's like, I don't yes. like watching this, but. Right, you're
3: like. Does he know that it's uh, kind of like self-aware? That like stupid hat self-aware? that he wears
2: during the photos oh, that Ryan yes. Gosling wears in the photo shoot looks like it was like three dollars. Right? See, okay. As a
1: musician, I know so many people who have literally been picked up exactly that way. Whereas, like, we're going to tell you what you look like, and you're going to go play with this guy who's touring right now and doing big stuff, and it's going to be great for your career. But it, then you just look at your friend and go, "What in the heck happened to you?" Right. It's oh, pretty. Wow. It's pretty realistic. Wow. It's it's bizarre. Yeah.
3: I don't know. We're all here to look at you and tell you that you've done that as a musician. Yeah. Uh-huh. I'm just
1: kidding. No, I have no sense of fashion, so <laughs> No, I'm kidding. They'll need they'll need to help me out with that. Okay, next movie. Birdman.
3: Have we seen it? <laughs> no. You haven't it's, seen it? It's actually the sequel to Batman.
2: <laughs> yeah.
3: It, it, it is. The natural enemy spiritually.
0: Yeah, spiritually, yes.
2: Um and the prequel to Spider-Man Homecoming, Vulture. <laughs> right. So there you go. Oh man, oh, that's stop the one
0: that guns. I haven't seen
2: yet. Haven't oh really? <laughs> Do
0: we know if have y'all seen the
3: trailer for what's the new? Warby. Yes, is that the same character?
2: I mean, it has to be, but no one knows what's going on with that movie.
3: I don't either. I'm like, is this? <gasps> don't don't people like think it's actually not a movie? <laughs> I don't
2: know. Have about you heard about that. this?
3: Because it like got pushed in April first release date, and then people like it's gotten
2: pushed. I think yeah. it was oh, supposed no. to be in 2020.
1: It's actually a joke
2: like that's a real thing that's a real theory I kind of hope it is it looks terrible but we'll see
1: I I it's I don't have high expectations for it what it is is it's the whole thing that Venom is where it's like it's within the universe kind of so
2: it's a morbid curiosity of how's it gonna tie in yeah Yeah.
1: but it but it doesn't actually tie in greatly they're just allowed to use characters interchangeably but it isn't part of the Marvel universe so I don't know it's it's weird man it's so weird Huh. It's connected in the way that the new Space yeah. Jam is connected to The Shining.
2: They're <laughs> in the same universe right. somehow. Somehow. Oh yeah, <laughs> the verse. The server verse. Yeah. Yeah. The
1: server verse. <laughs> That's it. Anyway, <laughs>
2: Birdsman, so Birdsman.
3: Birds Man, Birdsman. Birds Man. Mr. Michael. great film. Have you seen it? I have
0: seen it. Uh, Michael? I have, yeah. What are your opinions on it? Uh I'm not the 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 biggest fan uh of yeah, uh, I, I think sometimes the one take can be gimmicky. Okay, uh, but <clears throat> but this is like the first
3: one to really do the one take.
2: Is it? That's mm. not necessarily true. Well, not like the well, first or one, went on to the first like mainstream. Yeah, like, right. I would say that's yeah. true. Yeah. I mean. It's like it was the kind of got a lot of attention its for it
3: thing yeah. at that
0: time. Well, I know it's not the only one take uh, <clears throat> on on your list, and I think yeah. the other one we'll get to, and I, I think the other one is is a oh, much yes. better example. Mm. Uh, oh, a, a sure. one take done well. Yes, uh, for me, I think just some of the story I didn't quite agree with, mm. but I, I, I
1: did like the ending, and I know a lot of people had the opposite reaction. Mm. See, and I, yeah, I would actually weirdly, I feel like I'm just going to echo you, but like I think the ending was interesting. I think some of the performances are great. Um, I liked visually i thought it was great the one take did get gimmicky at times for me and the, but the thing i did love is there's a lot of percussive music that kind of yes. makes up the back and the the idea of like the one take scanning through and you see the drummer in different places is like oh i like oh that's cool it's Oh just yeah. good the way I they love loop that.
3: that they like pull it into the soundtrack isn't just the soundtrack mm-hmm. it is like a part of the beat of the film for sure is very cool hmm. um i the common themes within my other films that this takes is like great performances by like a a, uh, a sort of team of actors uh, set in New York City about <laughs> the theater. Yeah. So I think that the one take works really well in this film. Actually, I'm gonna advocate for it on this because of how much it aligns with the way that a play has to run. Yeah. And so you have to rehearse and you have to know your cues and you have to sort of, you're going behind and cutting around people to kind of like do all these, you know, changes and like, you know, switch things over. So, like, it's very sort of uh, life imitates art, sort of in a sense of kind of like the way that the film had to be produced as a production was done very much like a play would be done. Mm. And of course, Edward Norton is great in anything. Um, Emma Stone is really great in this Zach too.
2: Galifianakis is in there right
3: he is and he does a great job like it's a very good <gasps> film for him it's, it is sort of more serious but he can play his sort of comical ridiculous self because he sort of plays the ridiculousness as like he's not ridiculous and everyone else kind of is which works um, I think that Michael Keaton's performance is like where everybody else would say it's 100%, I think it's like 85%. Mm. Like, I think it's not, I think it shows a lot of his age in it. I don't know. That's quite what I want to say there, but.
0: His maturity?
3: No, I think it's just like. Is it, do you mean the energy is somewhat lacking? I don't, yeah, maybe that's part of it, mm. but I wouldn't want to give that to his age. I think it's just like.
0: No, is any of that I like actually intentional? Is it part of the point?
3: Yeah. Right. Maybe so. That's a good point. But I do think that, um, and then of course, Holly from The Office is like unexpectedly in it yep. and it's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, the, the ex-wife. Uh-huh. I just think that she's good in it too, man. She's barely in it and is very good in it. Yes, she is. Um, yeah, I think that they did just, I it captures a lot of what I love about theater and does it sort of in this sort of really fun way. And it's captivating because it is one take and it's not just like a film about a play. Yeah. It is sort of this continual journey that kind of keeps you sort of anxious the whole time because the character is anxious the whole time and sort of on edge at all times. Yeah, And you're like, oh my gosh, this is kind of a lot of anxiety and Ups and downs, and all over the place, and it's emotional roller coaster, and it's just like everyone is reacting to everything very extreme, and they're very dramatic, and it's like okay,
0: actors. Yeah, <laughs> this is one of those movies uh, where it's it's got uh, in my mind like this iconic final shot, right? Because uh, it's Emma Stone, yeah, looking out the window, yeah. right? Oof,
2: yeah.
3: That's a that's one of those ones where like in a reel of like great film moments, that will be there. I
2: love it. I know movie. that shot from that what you're talking about. Yeah. Though, so, See?
1: yeah. It is it did it's it is one of those films that I don't love the whole thing, but it does stick the landing in a very cool way. Yeah. Um the the one thing to me that that I just I get a little antsy when when movies try to tell me how much they're they're better than other contemporary movies and it oh, was right. one of those that did sort of heavy heavy-handedly say yeah, go ahead and go watch those explosions. Like that's what the audience is here for. They don't care about characters, and I'm like, all right, like I'm here watching your movie. So who are you? Who are you talking to right now? It's like if that was
3: turned into a full movie, we would get Don't Look Up. Right?
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love God it. Heavens. I love Don't Look Up. <laughs> well, we could talk about that another time.
3: <laughs> but um, I think you're right. I think that that's a moment where it did become a bit much, and it sort of
1: jumped the shark per se. Mm. I still think, I, yeah, There's, I think there's so much artistry to it, though, that you can't not appreciate right. what's happening, mm-hmm. yeah.
3: Well, we can talk about the other single shot film, which is important. 1917. 1,917. <laughs> um, we saw this one together. We did, but I want everybody else to talk about it, too, because I think it's worth everybody talking about.
2: Uh, So... I'm going to speak strictly about the cinematography.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, so cinematographer Roger Deakins, mm. probably the best to ever live. Yep. I'm just going to go ahead and brag a little bit. I got a signed copy of his stills book for Christmas. Thank yeah, you mom. did. Shout out. He also got knighted yesterday.
3: I so, saw that.
2: A little topical, but um, I think he should have, he's been nominated like 14 times. Oh yeah. Uh, he won his first one for Blade Runner 2049. Uh, and then he won again for 1917. As a massive fan of his, I I honestly would have given it to, like, the— because uh, that year was pretty stacked. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would have given it to the Lighthouse for cinematography. I would have chosen that over Deacon's. But that being said, it is an incredible achievement. Yeah, it is. Um, just watching the behind-the-scenes of that, it's it's—I don't even know how you start to tackle something like that. Yeah. Digging, like, mile-long trenches— just the amount of extras that you have to have the it's, it's kind of almost too daunting to even start to think about. But um, yeah, I I really like the movie a lot. I love how it it's bookended by basically the same shot. Um, And I think it could, it definitely um, seems like it could fall into the gimmick, but it, it uses the one take. I think the best you can and in the, From a thematic standpoint, where it's like you're just with these guys Mm -hmm, in real time, experiencing this thing the whole way through. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, There's no time to like rest. Really. (laughs) It is
1: a breathless movie. You are going to the whole
2: time. um,
3: Another great breathless movie. Um, What's it called? Space. George Clooney. Oh. Sandra Bullock. Gravity. 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 uh, Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Another breathless one.
2: one. Yeah. Yeah. Short. Quite literally breathless. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's all I have to say about 1970. Mm. I think it's a great
1: movie. Yeah, I, I'll say wow. you you may see this appear on another person's list. Who knows who? <laughs> oh. Who knows who? Who could but that be? um? But no, I I do think you there's so many your... shots. I mean, speaking of Roger Deakins, like there's so many shots that still just come to mind. Like as soon as I think, I can picture. The literal shot, which is crazy. That's like, right. I mean, just like I could, if I was good at painting, I could paint that shot right now. Right. Um, I mean, the the scene in like the broken down village uh, where yeah. he's like running between oh, the columns, mm-hmm. and there's like this mix of pitch black and red, where it's just the flares. Yep. Oh my oh. gosh! Oh yeah. So when it,
2: right. So it's marketed heavily as a one shot movie. Everyone talks about, it, but there mm-hmm. is a moment in the movie where the camera very very clearly cuts when he mm-hmm, gets right. knocked unconscious Right. then it comes back and then it goes into mm-hmm. it kind of tracks with him as he wakes up and then it's cool behind the scenes the wall actually peels back for the camera to be able to fit through and then they re- it reveals the city with the flares going off crazy. and the music swells it's insane but also i just wanted to touch on the scene after the whole crazy you've just watched this guy run through the city getting chased by soldiers, go into a river, almost drown. Mm -hmm. And then he comes out and you hear the soldier singing in the woods and he just wanders into the woods and sits down. And it's so beautiful. Oh my gosh. Because he probably thinks he's dead. He's probably like, oh, I'm in heaven. All right, I died. I'm just going to chill here for a second. You've got that
1: river of bodies that he's going through. And then you have that, like, yeah, it's like an ethereal singing through the woods that he just like, Literally looks like a ghost, super pale, just the all the life drawn out of him. And he's just walking through. And it's, oh my gosh, just a, such good filmmaking. Yeah.
2: I, that, I, that I always get me. chills. I always get chills when he uh, just decides like, I've got to run for it. And he gets out of the trench and is running mm-hmm. and the explosions are happening. And mm-hmm. he's running into guys and the music. I just, I get chills every time. It's yeah. so great.
3: More on that in a future episode. Yeah. <laughs> I'll try not to repeat the things that we just said. (laughs) Uh, My final movie. (gasps) The best for last. The Lego movie. Let's go! (laughs) Everything is awesome. And everything is awesome about this movie. (laughs) Michael, you mentioned that you had a bit of a moment. Do you want to share about that or no? Why you had that moment?
0: Uh, Yeah. So, the... I've only seen the Lego movie once. Once, I in theaters? It, no, I watched it in college. Okay. Uh, I think, I think it was on HBO. Okay. And I had HBO because I was watching Game of Thrones or Westworld or something. Mm-hmm. Um there's a time in my life when I was very into HBO, <laughs> and I decided to put this movie on at midnight. And oh, uh, yeah. So it, it took uh, a. About like an hour and a half before there were like actual humans on screen <laughs> and when, when, when that part happened uh, I was just so blown away I was like I had no idea that there were going to be people in this that this was like mm-hmm. going to get meta mm-hmm. and it just made me very uh, uh, yeah That had had an existential crisis <laughs> so that was that was just my experience yeah. it, was, uh, it, it was a fun one the it was a very funny movie right uh, obviously, super super catchy song. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
3: this was a big moment for me because I am an avid Lego collector <laughs> and creator and builder and lover of
0: Legos. Oh, the other day, David, I saw you wearing a Lego hoodie. Yes, with you did. Lego Whoa. pants, right?
3: Target right. had a great Lego
2: <laughs> collaboration <laughs> recently.
3: All of my Christmas <laughs> presents came from Target I Lego's love that. collection. I have a matching. Onesie for my daughter that it will soon be born <laughs> that matches the hoodie that you saw me in. So coming soon to a Jackson restaurant near you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm a Bigfoot Lego fan. And the fact that this movie came out and was like
2: beyond the expectation. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, you know... <sighs> Everyone was like, they're making a movie about Legos. They've really run out of ideas now. Right. It was that way. It was like- It's like best case scenario emoji movie. Or emoji movies, worst case scenario. Or like Angry
1: Birds, right? Yes. It feels cash grabby and not-
3: But it so wasn't. And what it did for like humor and animation, I feel like turned a page and we were like, wow, it can be so much- I think the other Lego movies really kind of didn't do so great, weren't so great. I feel like they missed the mark a bit, but it was more of that kind of crash grab, like Mm. what you expect. Mm. Um, But that movie is such a solid sort of take on doing... It was very self-aware. It was... They hit all the right, I think, casting moments. They pulled in, you know, like the idea that all these different... You know, I think Channing Tatum and... um, What's his name? Um, Chris Pratt. No, 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 no. Jonah man. Hill. Jonah Hill. We they're like, aren't they like bat you know, Superman and... Green some, Lantern. And Green Lantern. <laughs> and they're like, you know, they just have this dynamic that is the same dynamic as 21 Jump Street. And they just like bring it into that film. And so it's just so great to kind of like... There's there's a lot of layers to that, and there's not only just like the layers of like the world of Lego, so you could like pull it all apart and see like different Lego sets and stuff, but like I think the way that a lot of the sort of, especially the zeitgeist of that time, mm-hmm. was all these different like dynamics of people, and then they're like voicing all these different Lego characters, like Superman and Green Lantern mm-hmm. and Batman. Will Will um, Will Batman. Arnett as for, as Batman <laughs> is great. It doesn't quite translate to a full movie, but it's a perfect casting. I just also, wish they had done like uh, Alec Baldwin is like another Batman. Interesting cuz you know in 30 rock they have that like they have that like low raspy like they they have, like that that whisper off they're like <laughs> banks <laughs> donaghy it's kind of like they're back and forth it's kind of a batman thing um, yeah
1: so it has one of my favorite of in, i mean literally any movie one of my favorite uh just improv moments that made it in, or not even really improv. So there's the scene where Vitruvius, uh, yes, Morgan Freeman is trying to explain the basically the plot of the movie. And the directors are known for kind of asking people to, to, to kind of like change stuff on the spot and try different stuff. And he says, uh, i all gonna have to write all that down because I'm not gonna remember all that, but here we go. And that's in the movie. And I just really <laughs> love that they use it in the movie. They like cut it in and oh my gosh. Also like so Morgan
3: good. Freeman playing the God Lego
1: character yes. <laughs> is so great.
3: And it's like Vitruvius and it's like, he's like not quite, it's like kind of all seeing, but he's like not quite. So mm-hmm. it like kind of takes it down a notch. It's great. It's phenomenal. Go see it again. <laughs>
2: I need to watch it again. I saw it in theaters. And I, I the only thing I remember, isn't there a scene where they're like at the top of a staircase and then it cuts to a title card that says like three seconds later and then it cuts back at the, the bottom of the staircase? <laughs> yes. I did remember thinking that was funny. Yes. So I I, I should revisit it. I also love that they... It, it's such a gorgeous movie and that it looks like real Legos. Yeah. Like yes. they animated... Well, like surface and improv- like yes. you can pause it and there's fingerprints on yeah, some of the crazy. lego pieces. Yeah.
3: It's, it's so smart. And they did that like there so they had like I think that they built like a new software to like they built yeah. all these pieces that they then built the like movie out of, I
2: think. I think every single everything that you see on screen is an actual piece of Lego that exists. It's not like nothing's created for the movie.
3: And then they added all those like imperfections and stuff. And the way that like they keep it clunky, like I feel like there could have been a part where, and sometimes they break that form, but they set up such a great set of rules that felt very true to like, okay, if you've ever played with Lego and tried to like, there used to be that like Lego movie making set where you would just like stop motion. Mm -hmm. And in fact, a lot of those films that like fans would make, they got to submit them and they're like in the credit scenes and stuff. Oh, cool.
2: That's
3: Anyways, cool. side note. But um, they kept that sort of feeling. So it felt yeah. like a bit of a stop motion film, but then they do break form sometimes. And sometimes their arm like moves up in front of them, but it's still the arm. It doesn't bend the way it's not supposed to. It's just that piece sort of moves sort of nothing. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. It's kind of like you moved it around. You didn't like, it didn't just like start getting fingers it and waving. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: Great movie. See, to me too, one of the things that makes it so impactful. It's one of those movies you can tell they they worked backwards, right? They said this is a, a brand that we're making a movie of. What what is it that makes this brand special? And it's that idea of people our age that are, you know, maybe more collectors or grew up with it and have that affinity for the brand. And then also kids who just want a, a thing that they can be creative with. And, and so they literally built a story around that tension yeah. of adult collectors who take it seriously and also people who grew up with it and kids who just want to be able to play and have fun. Right. And it's like, yo, that's, that's where, think about the unity of it and not, mm. the, not the differences. And it's, that's yeah, what the movie that. is.
3: Right, which I love because it's so, like, as someone who has a lot of Lego in his office— And kids always come in, they're like, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh. And their parents like, don't touch anything. Like if they're (laughs) meeting with me and they brought their kid in, they're like, don't touch anything. I'm like, literally touch it. Like, I don't (laughs) care if you drop it. Like, we'll put it back together. It's not a big deal. Now I'm like, don't go throwing things at the wall and like shattering things. But like, there's nothing sacred about it. Like, you know, because I think that's so important about it because it is about that. And they did such a great job of like cutting that tension, even Mm -hmm. for their own fans, which I thought was good.
1: Yeah. I'm gonna go home and build a Lego set. That so. sounds awesome right now. I literally so I was theory. thinking I was like I want Legos.
2: <laughs> well, boys, this is frankly, this has been a journey. If I can <laughs> just be honest with you guys, we've ranged from <laughs> dark, dark dramas <laughs> to the absolute delights of childhood innocence in the Lego movie. Um, I can't think of a, a better place to end, frankly.
0: At, that is well, the end uh, of my list. David David, do you have anybody that you need to give any shout outs to? Um, my wife, who is
3: at home. <laughs> very pregnant right now who allowed me to come record this but also is uh, an avid movie watcher with me one of the first times we went to the movies together as very much friends we went and saw Man of Steel Mm -hmm. which was an utter letdown (laughs) I'm telling you, I had such high expectations for this film. I was like, it's gonna be the Terrence Malick yeah. of superhero <laughs> that movies. It was marketed. It's how it was marketed. I was like, I was trying to get this like, like glasses that were like Clark Kent, like I don't know, Warby Parker <laughs> glasses or whatever. I have a post. A Mondo post. It's the first Mondo poster I This is the first movie we ever saw together. So she starts asking me questions in the movie, and I. I don't know if I shushed her or I just did not talk to her. (laughs) She learned very quickly that I do not like to be talked to in the movies or I do not like to talk during movies. And bless her, she has honored that for a very long time now. I'm not as stiff about it as much. And I will in (laughs) fact talk during a movie sometimes if it's like, not something I'm like hyper into, but um we almost always go to the movies together and she's always down to watch whatever unless it's a sad film again like she won't watch life of Pi. i don't blame her though <laughs> um that's who i'll give my shout out to awesome. okay and you guys for participating in this and michael <laughs> for on,
0: letting on. me be a part of this well thank you so much for coming of course yeah. and uh, maybe we'll see you again for another episode yeah Happy maybe so.
2: listeners stick around because we got some some fun stuff in the pop- pipeline
0: all in right. the pod line it's right, uh, mm. oh, oh, <laughs> a good place to sign off y'all have a good day good
2: night